The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. It's funny that I was always interested in money. From a young age, my dad always had money, like he always carried cash around with him. Do you remember back sort of 30, 40 years ago how big the £10 notes were, those big brown £10 notes? And he always had a big wad in his pocket. And he was an entrepreneur, he's never worked for anyone else. He couldn't. They'd fire him within about four minutes. Um, And so he met my mum because he was a customer in my mum's parents, my grandparents' pub. And they, they got married pretty quick when my mum was 18. And he said, let's set up a pub. And he set up a pub. And then he had pubs and bars and hotels and clubs for the next 35 years. And he went slow, slow, slow. Millionaire bust, millionaire bust, millionaire bust. He had a massive, massive thriving pub and restaurant trade in um, East Anglia, especially Mildenhall and Lake and Heath. And then the Gulf War happened. He had hotels, and there were all the Americans were staying in the hotels, then almost overnight, gone. Made loads of money, went bust. And he always used to take me around with him. The things that I remember the most about my dad was he always used to come and watch me play all the sports, which is why I'm really keen to do that with Bobby. And he always used to take me around the bars, the, the hotels, when he was buying them, when he was going to liquidation stock to buy all the kitchenware and the fruit machines. He'd let me em- the empty the pool table with him. And we count the money together. He'd teach me to use two fingers for two 10p's when the 10p's were that big. I think that's where I got my love for money. So don't judge me. Blame it on my dad. But when I left that environment, i.e. went to school and then went to uni, I got back in the system. The system, I'm not knocking the system, right? Because if you're a doctor, a dentist and a lawyer... That's the right path to go down, school, university, etc. Like most of us in this room are entrepreneurs. We give it a go first. Start now, get perfect later. Test on our users. Not if you're a doctor, you don't give us the knife. <laughs> Fuck all this seven years. I can do this. <laughs> but what was happening was I was in this school system squeezing me in doctor, dentist, lawyer, banker, whatever. And I didn't want to be any of that. I wanted to be like my dad, except I didn't want the bust part. And so I got lost and very confused at school because of all of that. And girls and alcohol. Girl and alcohol. Sorry, I don't want to over-egg my skills. (laughs) And then I wake up and I'm 25 years old and my dad's about to have a nervous breakdown And I'm like, what happened in these last seven, eight, nine years? The dream was there, and where did it go? And sometimes life can just, you float down that way, just thinking, oh, this will just be for a bit. And then you're off in the horizon 10, 20, 30 years later, and you're like, where did my life go? And so I've had both sides. I've had being skint, I've had being wealthy, still got being wealthy, saying that as humbly as one can. I've had the system and the education, and, you know, a lot of people, oh, I didn't do very well at school. You know, it was, I was, it was hard at school. I was dyslexic. 
You know, I don't have that story. I actually did quite well at school. I know it doesn't fit with the, you know, I was so skint, I picked fag butts up off the floor stories. I was so skint, I couldn't eat. I went down KFC to lick people's fingers for dinner. <laughs> My story doesn't quite fit. I had a good upbringing. I went to good schools. I got good grades. And I was still a disaster and still skin in my mid-twenties. So I've had a good go in all areas. And then I remembered what I wanted to be and my life changed. And so the last, you could say, probably from since my dad took me around pubs, he used to get me to hustle his own customers and bet against them playing pool when I was about six years old. My dad was a, I was going to say a pimp, kind of was, but... Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, and in the last 11 years up to that, that was all the warm-up for the game, you know, until I was 25. And then in the last, since then, so what, 14 years, I've made it a personal mission of mine to help people learn how to know more, make more, and give more money. How to be happy in themselves and be wealthy. How to balance giving with serious capitalist skills. How to leverage free markets how to build wealth, retain wealth, grow wealth, diversify wealth, ensure wealth, give wealth away. And in that pursuit, I've read probably 3,000 books. My mentor, John Martini, has read 30,000 books. He's got 30 years on me. But just to put that into context, I've still got a long way to go, and I know that, and I'm excited about that. I don't want to finish. And in all that study, over all that time, I've picked out the three main commonalities of wealth. From the titans, the masters, the disasters, and the people who've gone on the journey. And it's not inherited wealth, given money, particular genes, particular skills, particular niches or industries. Certain things help, certain things don't. But none of them are a common thread across them all. These three things are, so you'll want to write them down. The first thing is a desire and necessity to serve vast numbers of people. Facebook wouldn't be where it is and Zuckerberg wouldn't be where it is if Facebook had five users. What is it, two billion now or something like that? I don't know. Now, to many people, that's scary. And immediately, your ability to be wealthy will constrict because you have to get over the fact that if you want to be really wealthy, you have to serve more people. Now, you don't have to want to be a billionaire, so you don't have to serve a billion people. Um, Kevin Kelly, who I interviewed on my Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, said if you had 10,000 true loyal followers, you could make a really good living for the rest of your life. So I'm not saying you have to be out there the whole world. Some of us want that, some of us don't. But 10,000 is probably the critical mass if you want a decent living for the rest of your life. Now, of course, if you think, pick any product or service, Coca-Cola, Dyson, anything... They're serving millions of people, selling millions or billions of units, sometimes daily. Amazon served the most amount of people on online e-commerce. You know, the bands that fill the stadiums become the wealthiest. I always used to, always used to be into bands before they got popular, like Muse and Radiohead and band, you know, when, you know, like when Coldplay, when they were kind of cool. And I thought, oh, the bastards have sold out now, the music shit just to fill a stadium. I'd fucking do that now. I'd dumb my music down, drums, do, 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 do. But they get to serve more people. You know, it's my taste in music. It's up to them. 
but they, tr- they, they got that. Do we want to play in, in dingy pubs or do we want to get out there to the world? And anything you can do to get to more people, whether it's technology that reduces friction and increases scale, or whether it's you marketing yourself more, somehow going viral, writing books and doing podcasts and getting them out to the world. That's the, now, if you go back, oil serves pretty much the whole planet. That's why battery power is likely to you know, make the, all these billionaires, because it's likely to replace oil to serve most people on the planet. So that's the first commonality. The second one then, and this is my favourite, and it's my favourite because I struggled with this for years, and I still have moments, and I think a lot of people in this room struggle with it too. You deserve to be rich. You were not born to be skint. Because skint is the result of not serving a lot of people. Who's skint and serving millions of people? No one. And we are an interdependent species, which means we rely on each other to survive as a species. From procreation to products and services, I need your shoes, you need my meat. We, we, yes, we, are, we have dependent qualities, but we have independent qualities. So wealth is the result of serving more people, as long as it's in balance of fair exchange. Because you can sometimes screw people over and have wealth for a bit, but you know, Madoff, etc., it, it'll always come back. Now, if you look at the titans of wealth over history, they surrounded themselves with opulence. And of course, who judged them? The poor. And I should actually differentiate between first world and third world poor. Because some people don't get the chance in life that we all have. And we sometimes find ourselves moaning, complaining about first world problems when there are two billion people that don't even have an internet connection and you know, probably more than a billion people that can't even get water. So when I say poor, I don't mean those people. I'm talking about the first world poor. I've got access to the internet and I've got access to books and libraries and following people on social media, these influencers, and they want something more, but they don't do anything about it. They always say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and they never do. So that's how I would define. So I'll call it skint rather than poor. But how many, you know... I was going to say how many billionaires lived a life of vagabonding and poverty. Well, none. But people always say, well, what about Mother Teresa? And what about Gandhi, Rob? Put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Well, Gandhi was financed and it took a heck of a lot of money to keep Gandhi in poverty. And actually, did you know that one of Mother Teresa's main donors was Robert Maxwell? And she took a lot of money from capitalists. Apparently greedy capitalists. She saw it as cleansing of money. So she needed the billionaire to finance her so she could, you know, share her message and mission. So somewhere along that chain, there needed to be wealth and opulence. Now she can see herself as the Robin Hood or whatever. But you don't have to live like that if you choose not to. If you choose to, I respect that about you, but you don't have to. Now here's something. I wrote a chapter in my book about this. It was a long chapter. And I did a little analogy of a billionaire flying over to Peterborough in his private jet to come and meet me to do a JV. And of course, I was imagining it slightly. But people think in binary terms about money, i.e. if they've got a billion, they've taken it off them who are skint. Greedy, needy. We need to take it off you and give it to you. 
which you're not happy about, and he is. And you don't even look happy about it. And we're just, yeah. But if you've learned how to make it and I take it off you, you're going to make it again. And if you don't know how to make it and I'm giving you some, it's going to ruin your life. Because money tends to exaggerate your traits. That's why nearly every single lottery winner, do you want the honest truth about the lottery? It'd be a curse to win the lottery unless you knew how to manage money already. Because nearly all of them end up more bust than when they were and more problems. You can't learn to manage money. You can learn to manage money, but you won't get more until you learn to manage what you've already got. So the billionaire who has opulence around them has created more economy because the private jet gave Citation some profit. Then there was a crew that got paid and those crew went home and paid their mortgage and put their kids to school. And then they landed and the, the um, billionaires throwing tips everywhere of which people gratefully receive. Then they hire a luxury car, which someone has to pay for. So the driver gets paid and then goes and pays his mortgage and food. And Mercedes get a bit of profit and the Mercedes garage does the maintenance. So the more wealthy you are and the more opulence you have around you, the more opulence you've created. If you buy an 85,000 pound watch, then you've given Odomar's Gay probably 15% of that as profit. And their watchmakers who are putting their heart and soul and passion into their work are being paid to do that, which means they can look after their home and go to work. So you're financing their work, their work as in their art and their work as in their work. So actually, the more money you create for yourself, you create what I call a, a larger your GDP. So GDP in the economy, you know what that is. It's the total amount of money in the economy. Your GDP is the total amount of money that comes through you. And people think, oh, I've only got five grand, I've got 10 grand, that's what I've got. But no, you've got the earning capacity to bring in millions and send out just a bit less. So the key to wealth, bring in millions, send out a little bit less. Bring in millions, send out a little bit less. <laughs>